How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. OMG. Girl. We are here in the studio. What is happening right now? I feel like this is weird. (laughs) It's been almost a year. It has. Like, literally, I think next week is going to be the year where everything changed. Our lives completely shifted. And it feels like it's been a long time, but it also doesn't feel like it's been a while. Girl, I haven't heard this little bop of a theme song that we've had in forever. When I tell you, I may miss that. I mean, yeah, it's nice to see your face, even though there is, by the way, plexiglass between us. We are safe here at Channel Q, thankfully. Thank you, Radio.com. Yeah, they did what they had to do. I mean, I think there's some extensive cleaning happening. There's hand wipes. There's air filter. You air know I've been fil- asking for an air filter forever? <laughs> we have an air filter. Shira comes from a family who's really intense about the air. And so she, since since we've walked in this building, has been like, the air quality. I can't breathe. I'm having a panic attack. All these things. I'm like, girl, you're so dramatic. But they got it for us. It took a pandemic for them to get us an air filter. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right. But we, we have a great show coming up. We can't believe it, but we have the first out transgender person to be elected to the Virginia General Assembly, Danica Rome, joining us. I can't believe it. Yes. At 3.20 p.m. Pacific, 6.20 p.m. Eastern. By the way, and we forgot to mention, we have new hours and we're here longer. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the big deal. We're here. We're not normally where we normally are, but we have new hours. We're a little bit longer, and we're just going to give you a bomb-ass show. Yeah, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. Where's that's, my bell? Uh, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. This is good. So, yeah, stick around, get caught up on the news, and uh, much more, of course. You can always expect some fun conversation here on Let's Go There and great music on Channel Q. Uh, but first, let's get into some What's Trending This Hour. <laughs> Sorry, you might be wondering why we're playing this. Just wait. Wait, what's the moment? Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your ears. That was the national anthem from CPAC that raised a lot of eyebrows for how unique it was. Uh, Yeah, yeah. that's a word to use. That is a word to use for sure. So Trump, of course, appeared there and he won this unofficial ballot. Uh Uh, He spoke there yesterday, Sunday. 55% said they preferred him uh, for a presidential run in 2024. And he said his political journey is far from over during this appearance yesterday. He also used the moment for more transphobic rhetoric. United States and our great citizens... Joe Biden and the Democrats are even pushing policies that would destroy women's sports. A lot of new records are being 
broken in women's sports. Hate to say that, ladies, but got a lot of new records. They're being shattered. You know, for years, the weightlifting, every ounce is like a big deal for many years. All of a sudden, somebody comes along and beats it by a hundred pounds. Boom. Anyway, uh, we're going to be breaking down his speech and what this means for politics in the future with David Weigel from The Washington Post right after this. So stick around for that. And uh, finally, Governor Gavin Newsom has hammered out a deal with state lawmakers to get most public school children statewide back in classrooms by the end of March. We're all Which going is good back. news. That's good news, I think, as long yes. as we're doing it safely. Of I, course. You know, th- there's a campaign to get him recalled, but I'm not sure. It seems like he's pulling out all the stops to make sure that's not going to and happen. And these public schools could tap into $6.6 billion from the legislator if they go back to class, if they open up. So they got just to open up. It's good for the parents and it's good for them because they get some money. Yes, it is. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so it's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house as Chadwick Boseman's wife was announced. Well, not his wife, but he was announced as a winner during the 2020 Golden Globes. Uh, he was nominated for his work in My Rainey's Black Bottom, the last film that he appeared in before he tragically died. His wife, Taylor Simone Ledward, accepted the award on his behalf, de- uh, delivering a moving speech. So, uh, honey, get your tissues ready because here it is. Say something beautiful, something inspiring, something that would amplify that little voice inside of all of us that tells you you can, that tells you to keep going, that calls you back to what you are meant to be doing at this moment in history. He would thank Mr. George C. Wolf, Mr. Denzel Washington. Lots of people in Netflix. He would thank Miss Viola Davis. I mean, how strong do you have to be to, to just deliver such an um, amazing speech like that and go yeah. through it? And she looked fabulous. Oh. Um, the, the award show, I was hesitant to watching because, you know, there was a lot of scandal with the Hollywood Foreign Press of them, one, announcing that they haven't had a black uh, journalist, a part of the Hollywood Foreign oh Press God. in decades. Right. And that was the elephant in the room. Um, but, you know, if you want to know more about the Golden Globe stuff, uh, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. We have all of everything you need to know who won who lost what were the hottest tickets moments and check it out over there of course you know you can apply you oh no know, you're fo- not foreign what i mean but i'm still black yeah you are but and, i think you, have, but to it, be you, know, I don't you have to be foreign yeah press? you don't have to be i know yeah it's hollywood foreign press but you don't have to be foreign to be a part of it <laughs> you know my dad every time the gloves happens he's like shiro why aren't you applying you're foreign <laughs> you're canadian well they would accept you before accepting me oh <laughs> Okay, coming up on this show. Can, well, can we apply together? Yeah, let's do that. We might as well. Coming up, as we heard Trump's CPAC speech uh, continue to show that he's not letting go of his political aspirations. So we've got the Washington Post here to break it down on what it all means next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, former President Donald Trump declared Sunday at CPAC that he is considering a presidential run in so many wonderful friends, conservatives, and fellow citizens in this room and all across our country, I stand before you today to declare that the incredible journey we've begun together, we went through a journey like nobody else. There's never been a journey like it. There's never been a journey so successful. 
We began it together four years ago, and it is far from being over. Now, he also ruled out forming a third party and will devote himself to building up Republican efforts to take on Democrats. Should we be worried? Dave Weigel is back with us, national political correspondent for The Washington Post. Hey, Dave, nice to hear you on the radio versus just on Zoom. Yes, I'm glad you guys are back in the studio. Back yes, the time. we are too. So what did you think about this latest appearance? Uh, well, it was not terribly surprising in content, quite honestly. Uh, not to downplay any of it. I mean, every Trump speech now, uh, or every every Trump statement that he makes, if he gets going long enough, he lies about the election result. And it's tough to take the rest of it seriously. You know, if like somebody's trying to sell you a TV and then says, by the way, 9-11 didn't happen. You say, well, wait a second. I'm not sure if what what are you telling me about this TV? Is that true too? So, what was actually new in the speech uh, compared to his his campaign trail rhetoric was he he went on this extended riff about uh, what he called biological males playing uh, girls' sports, women's sports. Unfortunately, an issue that yeah. and you know to to, to to shorthand it, his administration had a bunch of uh, sort of anti LGBT appointees. Uh, he uh, signing anti LGBT rules. He himself, you know, supported the ban on uh, trans uh, American serving in the military, but he didn't talk a lot about it. And that was the only thing I heard that was brand new for him. It, 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 the lead of the story, I guess, the, the, the most important part of the story it was I, was him saying he's open to 2024 because he didn't quite say it before that. Um, but he had to, you know, add, add to it. Uh, he'll, that would in, constitute winning a third election, which is right. unconstitutional. Well, and, I, th- um, I thought one thing yeah. that was really interesting, uh, there was a poll that was conducted by the tra- uh, Trump campaign poster, Jim McLaughlin, um, and where he found that 68% of attendees wanted Trump to run again, 55% supported Trump's election, and if he ran with 21% supporting Governor De- uh, Ron DeSantis of Florida, blah, blah, blah. It seems like the, the, the Trump fan base and the GOP is here to continue to be the Trump you know, party. Is that what we're looking at towards the, the future of the GOP party? Uh, yeah. And so in, in important ways, so like immigration policy and a few other things Trump focused on, just there used to be a debate inside the Republican Party. You know, what's the real conservative position? Because Ronald Reagan was in favor of immigration amnesty and Donald Trump is for all, letting almost nobody into the country. And the party has adopted his immigration stance. There's basically now one pro-immigration, one party, one party that's against it. Uh, so that uh, maybe with exceptions, if you're, if you're fleeing a communist country, then come on in. If you're not, stay home. Uh, so he he that, those definitions of the party have already been have been done, but there's no debate, and there usually is a debate. I mean, there's a debate in the Democratic Party about how far they go on this policy or that policy. Uh, even when Democrats were out of power, there are debates on that, right? So, for example, the Green New Deal is coming out two years ago. There are Democrats who support it. There are Democrats who say it's stupid. Um, they're not really proposing a lot of alternatives to the policy, but in, when they do so, it's in ways that Trump let out for them. For I, I keep using the immigration example, but also when um, when they were trying to stop the the COVID bill from passing the House, you know, it passed last week. Republicans weren't trying to stop um, cut the spending in it, which is what they did during the Tea Party, right? Like, well, you you want two trillion? Here's here's fifty well, bucks. Well, Dave Weigel, <laughs> really? we we love yeah. having you on. Unfortunately, this is we're already done here today. It does go by well, quick, right. but you bring up some great points. We always love having you on. Thank you so much for being right. here. Got to get used to the new the new old world. But exactly. Good luck, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> that was Dave Weigel, national political correspondent for the Washington Post. Wow, a lot of interesting stuff to look forward to. I mean, Republicans being Republicans is really what it is. 
For real. Now coming up, uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is in some hot water facing new sexual harassment allegations. So is this the end of Cuomo officially? The Washington Post, actually Natalie Jennings from the Washington Post is joining us for that right up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Let's talk about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Two former aides have recently accused the governor of sexual harassment and misconduct. And now Cuomo is asking for a private investigation, but many are calling for him to resign. Here's AOC on MSNBC. Well, you know, I have called for the full investigation into the nursing home crisis, and I've also called for a full independent investigation that if these investigations bear out um, that, you know, that the details of these allegations are true, as well as um, deliberate misconduct in, in you know, the, these nursing home numbers, it really starts to, I think, call into question um, the leadership that we currently have. Okay, there's a lot of allegations here. I mean, he's having it coming from all angles, but he also released a statement finally saying, I now understand that my interactions may have been insensitive or too personal, that some of my comments given my position made others feel in ways I never intended. I acknowledge some of the things I've said have been misinterpreted as an unwanted flirtation. With us right now is Shana Jacobs from The Washington Post. Uh, Thanks, Shana, for joining us for this. No problem. Thank you. Okay, so I guess at this point, what do we need to know right now? Do you think at this point he's going to resign or he's going to move forward with this investigation and just think that this will let him go of all of this coming down? Uh, The governor has indicated that he's uh, willing to uh, submit to the investigation and and he's asked his, uh, his office, the executive office and other state agencies that would be involved to fully cooperate with the attorney general's probe. Um, I'm I'm not uh, sure whether uh, resigning before, before anything concludes is actually on the table for him. He certainly hasn't suggested that that's the case. So uh, I think we're likely to see this investigation play out uh, and take as long as it has to take, whether that's weeks or months. Right. Um, before we uh, we hear anything more certain. Why were there so many concerns about the investigation that he launched? Uh, could you kind of break that down for us? Sure. You mean the, the investigation that he yeah, did, the, the referral request from earlier? Yeah, the day? one where he appointed um, Manhattan federal judge and Clinton appointee Barbara Jones. Why was everyone so kind of he- uh, hesitant? There was a lot of critics kind of questioning that decision. Yeah, unclear uh, to me, but I think that, uh, you know, as some of as you pointed out, there are critics who uh, kind of suggested that he wanted more control over the investigation itself, even if he were going to refer it to uh, the former judge or the sitting chief judge. Um, I guess people wanted to uh, people were critical of the, the fact that uh, he might have more of an influence as to how how it played out, um, whereas by sending it to the attorney general's office, who will then hand it over to an outside lawyer or an outside law firm. Uh, I guess people believe that that uh, is another big step removed from the governor's mm-hmm. office. So I guess that's where that criticism came from. Again, you're hearing from Shana Jacobs from The Washington Post. So how bad is this for Cuomo's political career at this point? You know, it's really unclear. He's he's a dynasty governor. Um, his his family has been involved in politics for a very long time in New York. Um, you know, it's he, everybody knows his name, and you know, there's a lot of history behind his 
his uh, his governorship. So right. I, I think it remains to be seen what comes out with the with the report that's eventually released and what comes out with the attorney general's findings. You know, conservatives are constantly saying, especially for this situation, that there's a double standard happening, right? We're not seeing the media um, report on it in ways. I know Chris Cuomo is not having his brother on his show. What do you think about that? Is that a valid point of saying kind of there is a, a double standard on how we're we're reporting on, on, on Cuomo? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I can speculate on that. I, I know that, um, you know, all of the major news outlets that I see have been covering this uh, on a daily basis. So, um, you know, I, I think as uh, as this develops, there's going to be even more interest. And I, I don't anticipate uh, my organization or any other paper uh, interested in politics that, uh, you know, taking a step back for any reason. Yeah, as you're covering this, Sheena, uh, and this is kind of your new beat at this point until it's over, (laughs) I guess, what has been the most surprising thing that you've discovered? Uh, I I don't know if I would say anything is surprising. We've seen a lot of powerful, very influential men uh, accused of this kind of thing, especially in the past few years. Um, So I I guess the the thing to do now is to sit back and see how it plays out, whether this... um, whether these uh, allegations are substantiated and, and then what happens from there. Yep. All right. Uh, we, we haven't. Yeah. Yes. No, thank you so much for being here. That was national security reporter Sheena Jacobs, The Washington Post. Uh, appreciate your work. Now, coming up on the show, oh, my God, I am so excited because, uh, well, after this, we've got Danica Rome joining us coming up in the next hour. But next, we're actually going to be debating why Miss United States of America, the pageant, is excluding transgender women. We want to know why this is happening and why a court has allowed it to happen. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. No, we didn't mention it, but it is Women's History Month starting today. Yes, it is. You know, I can't believe it. I know I, I feel, <laughs> I guess I feel guilty, but if it's my month and I just don't acknowledge it, it's on me. Well, why would you feel guilty about that? I don't know, because it's it's amazing how many amazing months there are, and Girl, yet you forget about it. You anyway. are so nice. It's like ridiculous. Get over it. <laughs> but speaking <laughs> of women, and you know, this has come up. Mm -hmm. With the Equality Act and now with Miss USA, a court ruling that pageants are not required to allow transgender women to participate in their competitions. And I think what we're seeing right now, in 10 years, we'll look back at this moment and say, this is just so inhumane what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's embarrassing. Yeah, you know, this is unfortunately not shocking, right? I think when we're we're talking about seeing this, and just real quick, I, I want everyone to realize Miss USA is partially owned by Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. Right. And so mm-hmm. this is uh, this is an organization who already has people that is attached to it who don't represent the views that are progressive and moving people forward. And I think it's just a slap in the face to everyone, um, specifically all women, to not have the opportunity to compete. I mean, it already feels like Miss USA's and these pageants are already kind of dated anyway. But if we're trying to evolve, how about give people the opportunity to allow them to evolve? Well, right. Yeah. Let's give a shout out also to Anita Noel. Green, who had filed this lawsuit after being turned away by the pageant in 2019. She is a trans woman who's held the title of Miss Earth Elite Oregon. 
and competed in Miss Montana and Miss Universe pageants. And so she was preparing to compete in the Miss Oregon contest. She learns her application was being rescinded. Her entry fee was being returned. Their director, Denise Smith, said, this is a natural pageant via Facebook. <laughs> it's so disrespectful. I can't believe and it. And then she offered to help Green find another pageant, but would not allow her to participate because they do not anticipate the rules changing. No, so the uh, the lawyer, really quickly, the lawyer that um, that represents the Miss United States pageant, he said something that was completely disgusting. He said, my client is not anti-transgender, but it just wants to be able to hold a pageant that is only for biological females. Contrary to what people might think, my client, the pageant, is a supporter of diversity. It believes that there can be a Miss Black USA pageant, a Miss Native American pageant, or a transgender pageant. Are y'all smoking crazy? at this point because it does not seem like it is connecting and people are understanding that just because you're saying oh I believe in diversity I, you know I got a couple black friends I even may have a trans friend I just don't want them in my pageant that is the co- complete opposite of diversity and inclusion that is not it just makes no sense. The math isn't math thing, as the internet loves to put it. Uh, that is true. And we couldn't speak with Anita Noel Green. We did reach out, by the way, but she is in uh, in court with this case still. But her lawyer sent us uh, an, uh, an announcement or uh, something that she wanted to share on the show. She said, well, I'm disappointed with the ruling. I'm viewing this as a minor setback. We will be exploring ways to move forward. Transgender women are women. Yes. My message has always been consistent. My message is this. Every person has beauty. I don't believe I pass and I still see myself as beautiful and I love who I am. If you are a trans person, I hope you will remember, you do not need to pass in order to be beautiful. Woo! Love that. Thank you so much for sharing that here on the show with us. Exactly. Let us know what you think at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media and always at We Are Channel Q. Coming up on the show, we've got Virginia's first openly trans lawmaker, Danica Rome, joining us. Huge. 3.20 p.m. Pacific, 6.20 p.m. Eastern. Stay tuned for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. What a day to be back in the studio because we have such a special guest here who I always see in the headlines. We talk about her on the show and then we came to the studio today. We're looking at the show and I'm like, wait, Danica Rome? Is that that Danica Rome? Like Virginia's first openly trans lawmaker, a star in her own right. Yeah, yeah. uh, Who just got this bill that helps, uh, that bans the trans panic uh, response. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's huge. She's joining us on the show. We're not just talking about the story. We're talking about it with the person who introduced the bill. Which, the funny part about this is, like, it's, I feel like I love the ambition of our producer, Vanessa, who is back, by the way, if, you have, if you've been listening and you didn't realize. Um, but she will just go out and go, like, and put out a request for oh, yeah. anyone. And then she'll be like, yeah, I got him. And we'll be like, girl, this is a huge deal here. So get ready for that conversation, because we got her for a little bit. And so we're super excited to have her on on the start of Women's History month. Uh-huh. It's pretty iconic at it this is. point. That's coming up at 3.20 p.m. Pacific, 6.20 p.m. Eastern right here on Channel Q on Let's Go There. Uh, but first, right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Senator Elizabeth Warren has introduced a bill in the Senate that would impose a new tax on the assets of America's wealthiest individuals. Here she is explaining it today. It is time for a wealth tax in America. I want to remind everybody what the wealth tax is. It is a tax on the uh, fortunes above $50 million. In other words, your first 50 million is free and clear, but your 50 millionth and first dollar, you gotta pay two cents. And two cents on every dollar after that until you hit a billion, 
when you hit a billion, you got to pay a few cents more. I guess we're in the clear then. Yeah, I mean, we're most heavily in the clear. <laughs> but 15 million. I, the fact that this is still even an argument, I'm happy that she's uh, presenting this. But I think the way that 2020 has been set up with uh, the most of the country losing their jobs, small businesses closing, um, it feels like this is the bare minimum that they could do. Like, these rich people should be paying some type of tax. And it's only two cents. Like, get over yourselves, bro. Yeah, and of course it adds up, but it adds up to then save the world, right? I mean, yeah. you have folks, like, as much as we hate Zuckerberg, he's donating a lot of his wealth to nonprofits. We have the 1% thing. The only white men I'm going to thank for charity is Bill Gates, probably. Okay. Like, that's it. I'm not going to thank Mark. So, uh, Warren, you might not know this, but she's a new member of the Senate Finance Committee and has, as we know, uh, know, long sought to increase uh, the taxes on millionaires, billionaires in the U.S. And this was very close to her campaign for the presidency in 2020. She uh, introduced a similar proposal. Uh, And finally, Representative Barbara Lee introduced a resolution that seeks to uplift the contributions of black LGBTQ plus individuals, both past and present, as fearless trailblazers in American culture and society. The resolution specifically lists 26 black LGBTQ people, including civil rights activists Bayard Rustin, James Baldwin, Audrey Lord, Marsha P. Johnson, and Black Lives Matter co-founders Patrice Coolers and Alicia Garza to celebrate and recognize those whose names we will never know. And if adopted, the House will recognize Black History Month as an important time to celebrate the remarkable and unique contributions of all LGBTQ plus Black Americans in the United States history. So this is actually really interesting and needed. Um, And so... Thank you, Representative Barbara Lee. Yes. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Taylor Swift and her fans are slamming a new Netflix show over slut-shaming joke. It is intense. It's time for your T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Here's the thing. Taylor Swift has gotten back on the internet, and she has just been very vocal, I feel like, these past couple years. Ever since she dropped her feminist documentary, she's like someone who lets us know her opinion and Uh has no problem with calling you out. Well, Taylor Swift fans are denouncing this hit new uh, Netflix series called Jenny and Georgia. I don't know if y'all have seen it. But uh, basically, they have a scene in there uh, that fans are calling egregious slut shaming. Um, basically, there was a scene where they made a joke about, oh, you know, you're dating so many guys just like Taylor Swift, essentially like that, right? Well, uh, Taylor Swift said this. Hey, Jenny in Georgia, 2010 called and it wants its lazy, deeply sexist joke back. How about we stop degrading hardworking women by defining oh. this horse blank as funny. She also tagged Netflix saying that after her feminist documentary Miss Americana, this outfit doesn't look cute on you. Happy Women's History Month, I guess. Wow, okay. I mean, mic drop, I mean, this is an, shots fired. This is an old joke. You know, whenever you have someone who dates a lot of guys, it's like, yeah. oh, you're doing a Taylor Swift. And maybe it's time that we... Wrap that up and yeah, ship it. archive it's, it or something. Maybe I think after watching the Britney Spears documentary, we mm-hmm. are no longer going to allow the slut-shaming and the sexist misogyny happen to anyone else. And I think it's important that we, no matter what, we, we hold firm on that. And y'all know I have a lot to say about Miss Taylor Swift. But I'm on our side here. And that's your tea report. I agree. I'm proud of her. Okay. Uh, coming up on the show, Virginia is joining 12 other states banning the gay and trans panic defenses. So what does the future hold? The first openly trans lawmaker from Virginia, Danica Rome, Woo! is joining us for that right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 
The ban on gay and trans panic defenses will become law in Virginia, and it's all because of our next guest. She is the first out transgender person to be elected to the Virginia General Assembly, and in January 2018, became the first to be both elected and serve while openly transgender in any U.S. state legislator. Thank you so much to Delegate Danica Rome for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So this is huge. How are you feeling now that the ban on gay and trans panic defenses is becoming law in Virginia, joining 12 other states? Well, the most important thing for me is I feel like I was able to fulfill a constituent service request because this came directly from an out 15-year-old living in the city of Manassas Park, which is one of the areas I represent in the 13th district of the Virginia Health of Delegates. I also represent the Western Prince William parts of Haymarket, Gainesville, and my lifelong home Manassas. And last summer, that constituent sent me an email asking me if I would submit a bill for this. And I was absolutely happy to do that, of course. And it was a really hard fight. And at the same time, you know, we had so many advocates and allies. Uh, Wes Bizzle from the LGBT Bar Association um, was absolutely phenomenal. He was so helpful. Um, Carson Anderson, who's the researcher who actually, he researches um, uses of the um, gay and trans panic defense. And he was able to provide us with a lot of key data on what's happened in Virginia. And then for our closer, we had Judy Shepard, Matthew Shepard's mother, testified in committee both in the House and Senate. And, I mean, you know, even the Republicans who voted against this bill, they had nothing to say in committee because how are you supposed to look Judy Shepard in the eye and tell her that she's wrong? No, exactly. And I, I love that, that that pressure was kind of added. But to break it down, can you tell us a little bit about what those gay or trans uh, panic uh, defenses are? What does that necessarily really mean to any listeners out there who don't get it? Sure. So what it means um, in the most technical sense is that someone uses someone's sexual orientation, gender identity, sex, or gender as an excuse in and of itself or and or with a combination of that or with a uh, or with, you know, what, what is called oral solicitation. So let's say, for example, I'm a trans woman, okay? I'm at a, I'm at a bar and even though I'm, you know, now happily, you know, have my partner for the last six years, let's go back to when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Let's say I was at a bar, I was in Henrico and this is the thing that happened and I meet this guy, things were going well, you know, he starts flirting, you know, I start making out with him, things were good. His friend starts getting really agitated, extremely agitated, and to the point where my friends had to take me by the elbows and literally rub me out and, like, get into the car and go away. What would have happened is if he had actually attacked me, what he could have done in court in that case is said that my either sexual orientation or gender identity, however, which one you want to um, put it with, was enough for him to not only, it wasn't only a reason for him to attack me, but it actually exonerates him for attacking me because he would claim a heat of passion attack in that case. And wow. what that, all of that really does is it blames the victim for being assaulted. It blames the victim for simply existing as an LGBTQ person in America. That's not okay. And we have found, you know, a number of cases in Virginia where we presented eight different cases and we documented a ninth as even existing in Virginia. And those are just the ones we know about that we were able to find in the run-up to committee. There, it has probably been used countless other times. It's just those were, it's also very hard to research and find. So the bottom line on this is that 
you have people who are being attacked, who are just trying to exist as LGBTQ people, and then the attacker says that the reason and the excuse for attacking them is because they were gay or trans or anywhere else on the spectrum. And so that is something that has no place in Virginia. And one of the things that was coming up was people are saying, well, just because we don't like a defense, does that mean that we should outlaw it? And like, well, we have plenty of existing precedent for outlawing defenses that we don't like. For example, we have the rape shield law, for example, so that you can't blame a rape survivor or a rape victim past sexual history for attacking that person. Mm -hmm. That's something that's been on the books for years. That goes back to the 80s. We passed a law in, in uh, 2018, or I'm sorry, in 2008, that says that if you were to, you know, statutorily rape someone who is 14 or older, and then you later marry that person, that marriage does not invalidate the statutory rape. That's an, that's an example of a defense, right? And that is inadmissible in court. Another one, voluntary, uh, you know, intoxication. We yeah. also have, you know, like you. And bribery is another one. You can't say, "Oh, I was bribed, so therefore I shouldn't have any consequences." Well, I get. Again, I want to say who you are because the voice you're listening to is Delegate Danica Rome right now. I do want to know if you know this is in Virginia and 12 other states. Will this ever be implemented nationally? Well, I think this Congress has the ability to do that, and. You know, keep in mind, it would only happen within, the, you know, a federal system at that point. But, you know, I believe that you have, you know, you know, you should be able to, in Congress, get people to believe that they shouldn't be allowing their constituents to be assaulted or murdered for simply existing. And keep in mind, I find it really just fascinating that these so-called pro-life Republicans who are so tough on crime really don't give a damn at the end of the day whether or not Snaps. their constituents are being maimed and uh, you know maimed and killed yes, if they happen to be gay or trans and i think that's a load of bullshit Oh, well, you can't say that word. Um, but I, I, when we come back, I want to continue this conversation with you because you're you're saying such powerful things. Mm -hmm. And I think after coming off the heels of what we did here with Project Fierce in the black trans community, I want to know what we should be doing to be, you know, standing up for black trans women who could be someone who could have this happen to them, right? We see people constantly getting murdered. And so I want us to kind of dive into that right after this break. So don't y'all go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Delegate Danica Rome, who's the first out trans Virginia lawmaker here, making moves and changing lives right now. Thanks so much for being here. Of course. Thank you. So, Danica, I, I think one thing that really comes to my mind when we're talking about this are the countless black trans women whose lives were have been lost, right? And I think a lot of times we, we hear people say, oh, because we found out they were trans or all these things is the reason why we murdered them. And so I think my question is, how do we, you know, put black trans women and just trans women of color at, as a priority moving forward when it comes to legislation? Well, the first thing that we do is we tell their stories. And we, and for those of us like me who are in positions of power, we need to use our platforms to actually elevate the very voices of people who are most afflicted. And, you know, for here's a great example of this. So when I was the news editor of the Montgomery County Sentinel in Maryland, I covered two brutal homicides of young black trans women. 
Uh, one happened in October 2015. Her name was Bella Ziana, and another happened in April of 2016, and her name was Kiana Blakeney. For all of the days of my life, I will always remember Kiana's father, Kenny Linton, calling me six months after I had originally interviewed him and crying to me on the phone, I miss my baby girl, I miss my baby girl. That story stays with me. Wow. And she was stabbed so many times, her family had to dress her body in a white gown that came down to her wrist just to preserve an open casket funeral so before they cremated her according to her wishes. And when I remember that story, and then I see these amazing, incredible black trans women in the greater Richmond area, like uh, Zakia McKenzie, who runs Nations Foundations, when uh, Roar Higgs, who's helped testify for my bills before, I know that what happened in Maryland, that could have happened to anyone, any one of them. And hell, it could have even happened to me as a white trans woman. But at the same time, I want to make sure that what the thing that we're doing is that as more and more people who come from diverse backgrounds are winning elections and having positions and having seats at the table, that we make sure we remember where we come from and that we take care of our community when we're in positions of power, when we have the ability to do it. Beautifully said. Uh, Delegate Danica Rome is again with us. We see something like the Equality Act which is huge, but yet the narrative coming out of it from the Republicans, the GOP, and the focus on trans girls and women in sports, I, it's so dangerous and problematic. Where do we go from here with that being shared in the way it is? Well, let them lose their arguments while we pass bills. That's <laughs> Look, let them yes, you know, yes. you know, all they want. And keep in mind, they lost that vote. And when they lose that vote... All they're trying to do is basically gin up enough people to get outraged enough to donate money to their campaign. Do you think they would actually care if there wasn't some political gain for them? Do you Mm -hmm. think they would actually waste their time on this if they didn't think that exploiting children was going to be a political winner for them? Of course they're willing to do it. Of course they will. And so what we do in the meantime is we pass enough bills so that the words and the damage that they try to inflict won't harm or at least will do justice for the very people who are most in danger from what they're trying to do. And meanwhile, in Virginia, look what we got done in Virginia in the last two years since our Democratic majorities took over in 2020. Look what we've got done. We passed so many pro-LGBTQ bills in the last two years. It's been an all-you-can-gave buffet at the Virginia General Assembly. (laughs) We passed our own versions of the Equality Act, the Virginia Values Act, as well as HB uh, 1049, which banned discrimination against LGBTQ people in 70 different sections of code. We passed three of my bills, along with the gay trans pink defense. We also passed my bill to ban discrimination in health insurance coverage against trans people, like what happened to me in 2014. We passed my bill to allow localities to be able to include sexual orientation, gender identity, and their non-discrimination you know, measures. We even passed my resolution, HJ85, last year to mark November 20th of every year as Transgender Day in remember- of Remembrance in Virginia. Yeah. I don't know of any other state that actually acknowledges Tibor as a state-recognized 
you know, day <laughs> you well, know, on the calendar. Let's acknowledge. Danica, I think because we have to wrap up soon. I, I'm such a fan of yours, and I think all of our listeners are. I know you're running, you're doing a re-election campaign right now. Can you tell our listeners where they can support, donate, give us the details, the, all the tea that we need to know? Happily. <laughs> so I'm on Twitter at TWC Danica, D-A-N-I-C-A. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, it's Danica Rome, Virginia Delegate. You can visit my website, Delegate, D-E-L-E-G-A-T-E, DanicaRome.com. And you can also find me on Blue by just typing in my name, uh, Danica Rome, D-A-N-I-C-A, last name, R-O-E-M. Uh, I run my own social media, so if you write to me, I'll see it. <laughs> that is great. And we'll be following you, and we're here to support whatever you're up to. And I can't wait to see you at the federal level. Yes. yes. New friend uh, at the show. Yes. The only the only thing you'll see at the federal level doing is advocating for good things, because my heart's in Virginia. That's where I belong. Okay. All right. Delegate Danica Rome, thanks again. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the time, and thanks, thanks so much for your own advocacy. Now coming, oh, that was so special, by the way. I loved it. <laughs> coming up on the show, can you choose which COVID-19 vaccine you get with this new Johnson & Johnson one out? Those details next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now that we've got three approved COVID-19 vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech, and Johnson & Johnson, can you decide which ones you want to get? I mean, out of that list, I felt very overwhelmed. It was kind of like going grocery shopping. I don't like to do it. Yeah. And then what if one you feel in your heart one is better than the other? Yeah. Or are they? I don't know. Dr. Amish Adalja is back with a senior scholar at Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Thanks for being here. Sure. Thank you for having me. So first off, before we get into the question of choosing which one you want, can you explain the difference between the mRNA shot and the Johnson & Johnson shot? Sure. So both of these types of vaccines use what are called vaccine platforms. So they're using something kind of to deliver the information about the coronavirus to your cells. And what the Johnson & Johnson vaccine does is uses another virus, a common cold-causing virus called an adenovirus. And it's basically engineered to deliver the coronavirus spike protein to your cells, which then get made and then the immune system recognizes it. Whereas the mRNA vaccines Basically, you're getting injected with the gene, basically, that goes into your cells, and then your cells start making the, the protein. So they both end up doing the same thing, but there's different delivery mechanisms with them. And then the other thing about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is that it is a single-dose regimen. You only need one dose, mm-hmm. and it's something that doesn't require really stringent cold temperature requirements. But it's not the DNA change. Like, that's what people are scared their DNA is going to change. What, the werewolves? No, the, yeah, like the other shots, not the Johnson oh, & Johnson. Oh, I'm one. like, what? No, these, none of these none of these shots change your DNA. That is a that is a myth and a, and a conspiracy theory, and uh, there's no evidence at all. It's actually completely arbitrary when people say that. Well, I think my question is, you know, people are skeptical because of the how Pfizer and Moderna they happen so quickly, and so maybe they're more lenient to the Johnson and Johnson. Um, but should they still be kind of skeptical about all of these either choices? Because there's going to be choices that need to be made. Like, should I get this one? Should I get that one? Break it down for us. What do you think? There's, people should not be skeptical of any of these vaccines. The fact that all of them were made so quickly is really a testament to the technology advancing to a point where we can make vaccines this fast. So I think that's, that's a great thing. Nothing was skimped in terms of safety. 
the phase one, two, and three clinical trials went went on just as normal. It was just that they were able to enter trials faster because they could make a vaccine candidate quicker. So all of these vaccines are tremendous, and they all do a really great job at doing what's important when it comes to this pandemic, stopping serious disease, hospitalization, and death. So if you're offered any of these three vaccines, take it. So we have to ask you, since you're here, this is the big question. Can you just go to your doctor and decide which one you want to get when you make your vaccine appointment? I don't think we're quite there yet. And remember, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is really only going to be available maybe a month or so from now in in high quantities. Only 3.9 million doses are available now. So it's not going to be something that is everywhere. And the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are essentially interchangeable for if you're a patient. So I don't know that we're going to have the, the choice eventually, I think so. Right now, the goal is to get as many shots into people's arms as possible with whatever of these vaccines is available. So I don't think that there's going to be much time to kind of to, to think about which one uh, you want. I think you should just take any of the three that's available wherever you might be. Honey, shoot my arm up. I'm ready to take. I can't wait. And that was uh, Dr. Amish Adelja, Senior Scholar at Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Thanks again for being with us. Coming up on the show, how to deal with the anxiety of being back at work. Can you feel it? Because we do, or I do. That's coming up in 30 minutes. Plus, we've got What's Trending this hour next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're back, and what a special moment on the show, Delegate Danica Rome being on. And if you missed that conversation, uh, you can listen to it again on our podcast. Just go to yeah. the radio.com app or we are channelq.com and find Let's Go There. I mean, it's the way that she has so much passion, right? I think sometimes you think about lawmakers or just people in, in, in whatever. They're just politicians. You think they're like jaded and they don't really care. But it seems like she still has such a fire and a passion. She knows what she wants to do, but still wants to like, she's like, I'm not trying to further my career. I just yeah. want to do what I need to do for Virginia. And I, I really appreciate that hot take I did too. Um, from her as well. Yep. Well, coming up this hour, why women donate more than men. Ha! New research is out. We're going to get into why. Oh, God. What that means. And how to deal with the anxiety of being back at work. Coming up in 20 minutes with our favorite therapist, Dr. Josh Clapo. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. CDC director, uh, she warned of a potential fourth surge in cases if we don't continue being careful. CDC director Rochelle Walensky shared this today. Oh, my bad. You know what? We're playing live. Yeah, it's like live. It's a moment. Here you go. Hear me clearly. At this level of cases with variants spreading, we stand to completely lose the hard-earned ground we have gained. These variants are a very real threat to our people and our progress. Now is not the time to relax the critical safeguards that we know can stop the spread of COVID-19 in our communities, not when we are so close. We have the ability to stop a potential fourth surge of cases in this country. Okay, so just be careful out there. I mean, they're just... Don't let your guard down. (laughs) They just keep telling us the same things that they... I mean, we need to know anyway, and I appreciate it. um, But I need them to start answering, well, when am I going to be able to go twerk at the club? That's that's <laughs> my question. that's literally my question that I wanted to ask Dr. Amish last oh, segment, but we ran out of time. I, I just want to shake my ass again. Okay, well, I guess you can do it here. I'm not yeah. anti ass shaking. <laughs> I don't think you are. Just I'm, wear your mask, guys. Yeah, please do it responsibly. Uh, now, new information. This is coming out. Former President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump actually were both vaccinated at the White House in January. 
This comes from a Trump advisor who told this to New York Times and Axios. During his speech at CPAC yesterday, Trump said that everybody should get the COVID-19 vaccine. It's the first time he's encouraged his supporters to do so. Girl. Not surprised that he got that back then. He I'm was like, either. I'm taking advantage of this while I'm here, but I'm surprised they didn't let people know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised about that either because they lied the entire time anyway, so it's whatever. We should do a show, surprise or not surprised. Yeah, not surprised. Yeah, actually, that's a good segment idea. Yes. Surprise or not surprised. We create it in real time. Okay, can I do that the team report? That's what's this hour. What's <laughs> happening in entertainment news. Okay, so guess what celebrity is diving into the cannabis industry? You know, this is my type of content, honey. Mm-hmm. It's time for your team report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Seth Rogen has a new com- uh, company called Houseplant. It's the cutest thing. I love it so much. This celebrity stoner and native of Canada launched Toronto-based uh, Houseplant uh, with his partner in 2019. And now it's coming to the States. He said this, and I quote, almost 10 years I go, um, I envisioned having my own weed company. Uh, 20 t- years, 10 years ago. Oh, I, go. I mean, why did it cut? Why is I it think so- that he just wrote it wrong. Oh, great. He hates me. Um, I envisioned having my own weed company. Um, he said, and today I can say that my company, Houseplants, uh, weed will be available in California next week. His website crashed as soon as he announced, but find out more on houseplant.com. I think it's cute. It and is. It's, it's really kind of on uh, brand for him and it just everything just looks very aesthetically pleasing you know yeah. I'm not promoting cannabis but I kind of am okay. <laughs> I was gonna say he's probably stones when he wrote that tweet oh my and god he like, looked like almost such, 10 years I go let me tell you he looked like such a cute suburban arts like dad he at is. this point he's been doing these pots yeah you know, sculpting or whatever oh yeah if you go to his Instagram he's been making pots not pot a lot of <laughs> Comes here, by the way. Get away from me. And that's your tea report. We got more coming up next hour. Coming up, the latest research that reveals women are more likely to donate to charities than men. Why? That might be happening hmm. next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A study on charitable giving during the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic showed younger Americans were significantly more likely to participate in unconventional forms of giving. Like you, you're a younger uh, American, Ryan. I wonder how much you you gave. Actually, I gave a ton. How dare you police me? No, I'm just joking. Uh, But but younger, you know, like the Gen Z millennials Mm -hmm. will actually like order takeout to support local restaurants. Yes. See, there's different forms of it. And I'm I'm really interested in this. But also women. We're focusing on women. They also show, or we, I also show a greater (laughs) preference for collective giving and other collaborative charitable efforts than men. So uh, Tessa Skidmore joins us right now, who's a research associate with the Women's Philanthropy Institute at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, uh, who did some of this research. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So this isn't just an assumption, right? The research shows this is the case, right? Women donate more than men? Yes, yes. Women overall are more likely to give to charity and to give more than men. And there are also... a a variety of other ways how women give to charity that are different than men, in addition to just the likelihood of giving and the amount of giving. Well, here's the thing, Tessa, in your article on theconversation.com, if anyone wants to check it out, um, you mentioned a lot of people who were like millionaires or billionaires, like women who had that opportunity. But my thing is, how what was research showing to for folks who don't have as much money as a McKinsey Scott? <laughs> what does that look like in terms of women uh, still really supporting and being charitable? 
Yeah, that is a great question because we tend to hear more about the Mackenzie Scotts of the world than the everyday donors. But um, really, these findings about women giving more hold true across different income levels. And they also, um, the research from the Women's Philanthropy Institute and others find that women tend to think of philanthropy not just as giving money, but in broader terms, like volunteering or um, advocating for causes that they care about. Um, and as you mentioned at the beginning of the segment, um, that broader definition of giving really appeals to younger donors as well and has especially been evident during the, the pandemic. Again, we're talking uh, to Tessa Skidmore, who works with the Women's Philanthropy Institute at Indiana University. So why is this? Why do men not want to give as much as women? <laughs> yeah, that well, we, um, you know, we, we used to say it's, di- we, we like to say it's just different. It's not better or worse, um, even though we do see these patterns that women are more likely to give and give more. Um you know, part of it could be their motivation for giving. We have studies that show women's motivations tend to center more on empathy and a desire to help others, whereas mm-hmm. men tend to focus more on the benefits they receive from being charitable, such as, you know, favorable tax treatment. Mm-hmm. So it, it could come from their underlying reason for wanting to participate in giving. You know, it's Women's History Month. You do not have to hold your tongue at all when it comes to talking about how terrible men are. No, um, but I think what's interesting is I think it really highlights that women are the forefront of a lot of these charitable movements. What did you, uh, what did research show for people who are younger or from communities of color when it comes to showing kind of the less traditional forms of philanthropy? Yeah, so this has been... Not something that's necessarily new, but really gaining more visibility are are the these different forms of philanthropy that younger individuals and people from communities of color participate in. One example of this is mutual aid societies that were established in Black communities centuries ago, but have reemerged to help individuals care for one another. You know, during the pandemic. And, and things like you mentioned, you know, making a special effort to order takeout to support local restaurants. You know, perhaps we haven't always thought of that as giving, but um, I think more and more we are finding that younger people tend to think about giving more holistically than just donating money to a charity. What about the LGBTQ plus community? Is there any research around that? Yeah, so we, we like others, are interested in finding more interested in learning more about the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community. Um, it is a lot to say, girl. Don't feel bad. <laughs> unfortunately, there is not a ton of data on this population. We we tend to work with very large national data sets that unfortunately aren't always following the best practices about asking mm. about sexual orientation and gender identity and, you know, it really requires a lot of data to um, draw conclusions about broad groups of people. But there are some studies, um, they're typically smaller and more qualitative, that look at um, 
at this giving, and we have to credit other researchers for doing this pioneering work, that the preliminary evidence shows that, you know, they do give slightly more of as a percentage of their income than the general population, and that they tend to really focus their giving on advocacy and rights at a higher rate than the, um, the donor population overall. That was Tessa Skidmore, a research associate with the Women's Philanthropy Institute at the Indiana University. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And you can check out all about this in our article in theconversation.com. Coming up on the show, how to deal with the anxiety of being back at work. It's happening for some of us. That is next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Some of us are returning back to work in the office, and it might be bringing up some anxiety. Girl, the way uh, Shira's over there biting her fingernails, you could just, I could just tell. She is, re- I'm, I love to give our audience an insight oh on God, what I is didn't. happening. I just had a few little extra she been over there dry chewing. skin on my finger. Either she's starving no, or she's hungry, nervous. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but producer Vanessa actually really wanted us to cover this topic. True, true. But so, it's, all, it's for all of us. I think we all had an experience of a little exactly. bit of nervousness. Yes. And anxiety. Um, But luckily, you know, we are, life goes back to normal. It is true. And Dr. Josh Claypo is back with us to help us navigate this topic. Thanks for being here. Happy Monday, Dr. Josh. Happy Monday. So you're doing the self-manicure thing over there? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I had some, you know, little, uh, what's it called? Anyway, whatever. Let's yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> so, Dr. Josh, I feel like, yes. it, I, I keep saying this. there's a silver lining light at the end of the tunnel. It feels in a way, and it might just be for us, and we are in our own bubble, that it, life is feels like it's getting back to normal. Like, this is weird. I feel like I have my normal life routine back yeah, this yeah. week. It's strange. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. yes and yes. Um, it's getting back to normal, and it is strange. And what I think is the most interesting, but also a little bit most scary, is we've all talked about this. It's not a light switch. It's not like, you know, it's not normal. It is normal. And so I think part of the scariness is it's so different for everybody. It's different in work, different work environments. Mm-hmm. It's different for different people depending on your health and your health state. Um, throw the vaccine in there, and you've got mixes of people who've, who've had COVID, people who've been vaccinated, people who've had one vaccination. So this is all about honesty, communication, respect, um, and to be honest with you, employer protocols. That's a lot of what I'm spending yeah. my time right now is working with companies to communicate what they're well, to define them and then to communicate to their employees what's going on. Well, Dr. Josh, I'm happy you brought that up because I wonder what's your advice and what's the advice that you're giving um, to the leaders and the employers about kind of giving their employees a little bit of grace and space on this return? Because I think a lot of the anxiety feels like, oh, if things are getting back to normal, then I don't have any wiggle room to kind of adjust. I just got to be in the moment and get it done. Yeah, no, I mean, I will tell you this. I think the biggest challenge for employers, and, and, and I'm broad brushing a little bit, is that line between sort of legal and risk and risk management junk, which I don't do, I'm not a lawyer, and how do I make my employees both productive and feel, and feel safe at the same time? And, and to your point, Ryan, I mean, basically what I'm telling um, uh, leaders and HR is you've got to give grace and space. Um, you got to give grace and space, but you also have to keep communication going, not just from leadership, but just like you all, between people. 
I mean, think about it. You walk into an office, you come back in an office, someone may have had COVID. Someone may have not had COVID. Someone may have been vaccinated. Someone may only have one vaccination. You know, so you've got people in different health states and psychological states, and we've got to get it out in the open so everybody kind of knows where they stand at this point. That is true. Dr. Josh Klepo is with us again. I think the weirdest part for me is it just feels surreal. Like we got so used to, or I feel like I got really used to my working from home situation. And now just overnight it's changed and I I might not be feeling impacted by it, but ultimately these things do impact you. Oh yeah. I mean, look, there are clearly people in, in different, in the two buckets, people who can't stand being at home and can't wait to get back to work. People who were kind of happy at home and are sort of dreading getting back to work. But then for everybody, there is this just sort of psychological adjustment to working in a different environment, even if it's the environment you used to be in, working with other people, being on a tighter schedule. All the things we used to do, even if you want to get back to them, it does throw you off the same way that all the Zoom stuff was throwing us off because we're not in routines. And, and it's not just a psychological thing. It's a physiological thing. Our energy levels, True. our blood sugar, our insulin oh. levels, all of that is affected just by our routine. So, uh, Dr. Josh Claypo, I want to talk about what we do about that because we've acknowledged how we feel right now. A lot of people are yeah. nodding their head. Okay, I feel acknowledged. Mm-hmm. But now what action do we take to make sure we, t- we take care of ourselves through this? We're going to get into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're back with Dr. Josh Claypo. We're talking about how to deal with anxiety coming back to work and if you have to go back to the office because some of us are feeling that way. And if you're not there yet, we're here to help you out moving into that. I mean, literally, this is just a free therapy session for exactly. Shira. I went for all of us. I mean, no, for all of us. You're right. I, but more so other people in the room than me. Hey, if I need it, that means other people need it. We're all living through the human experience. So Dr. Josh, uh, we've acknowledged what we're going through right now. So what tips do you have if if someone senses they're getting anxiety, like, you know, you're driving to work or the night before? Yeah, so I think a couple things. First, having that little bit of anxiety is, you know, you hear psychologists, it is normal. And it's okay. I mean, it's a different, it's a change. Um, we're in, we're in the midst of it. And so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dwell on it too much other than tell yourself, okay, yeah, I have every reason to be a little nervous and anxious. I I think that's fine. The other thing is when you get to work, you know, particularly if it's your first week or so coming back and you are coming back, give yourself some time to feel nervous and anxious at work. I think people don't expect to feel that way. You're not going to be incapacitated, but you may feel a little bit off of your game. So, so that's important. I think the third thing is the most important is probably the most challenging, and that is you've got to be willing in a polite and appropriate way to get your questions answered and to voice your concerns, and I underscore polite and appropriate, with your leadership, with your management, in terms of safety protocols, what you feel comfortable doing and not doing, um, if you're feeling that you're not in a good, safe environment, and I will forewarn you, not every supervisor, manager, or boss is going to know how to answer those questions, but it is more important that you stand up for yourself that way than just to sit there and wring your hands, because that's the part that you've got to get addressed that no one's going to know unless you say so. What do you think we we all have learned going back into this kind of new way of life? Uh, what do you think this past year 
um, and, and being in the moment that we've been, what, what do you think it's taught us uh, to kind of lead our way back into a better, you know, future in some way, I guess? Yeah, so I think for a lot of, uh, lot of people, it's taught them to respect others' preferences, wishes, and, and views about the world and safety and health. Um, to to recognize that your views are not necessarily somebody else's, but to be able to uh, understand that you don't know the steps that, that someone else has taken. That's the good part. And I think that's been learned for a lot of people. The I hope that sticks around that, because it's, quickly it's easy to forget. I'm telling them I'm, I'm feeling people like lacking gratitude these days. Yeah, well, that's it. And, and, and here's the thing. And I think the reminder is going to be when – this is not like nobody's going to die tomorrow from COVID. So I think the thing that's going to happen is when we start getting back and people still are, some people are getting sick and other people are dying and we're having long hauler syndrome and all that kind of stuff. I'm not trying to create a doomsday, but it is a reminder that we've just gone through something incredibly um, uh, profound. Traumatic. I think that people will slowly get back to their old self. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there will be permanent reminders and I'll tell you why. Because you go to work and there is somebody at your workplace who's either had it yep. or has a loved one who's had it, has, yeah. has had someone get very sick or die. And in that way, like the great pandemic of 1917, it will affect us forever that way. And True. what you hope is that it gives people an appreciation for the fragility of life. Well, Dr. Josh Claypo, you're great as always. Thanks for the wisdom. Now coming up next, we've got What's Trending This Hour. Pete Buttigieg is joining a big tech conference that usually is in person, but you'll be able to watch it virtually. We'll give you more details next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, isn't today's show going quickly? Again, we're here for you. Let's go there. New hours on Channel Q. Weekdays, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific now. 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. I mean, this has been really fun. I'm not going to lie to you. Adding yes. this extra hour, I was worried. I was like, I'm going to be dog tired, but I feel like the party's just getting started. I mean, that's what happens when you're not looking at Zoom for six hours. True. No you know, Zoom fatigue. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's true. It's very real. We got to be part of some sort of ex- focus group study experiment. Stop trying to sign me up to be a lab rat. <laughs> what if they pay you? Now, look. Uh, But coming up this hour, we're going to be playing our interview with Virginia's first openly transgender lawmaker, Delegate Danica Rome. She is amazing. She is leading the way in Virginia. And so stick around for that conversation right after this Mm -hmm. in basically uh, 15 minutes. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. All right, let's do it. Let's play hey everybody, uh, my name is Justin and I have a disability that's called 22Q syndrome. Um, and uh, my question is, because I do have a disability, how many people will actually say hello to me? That's what I want to know. So um, if you see this video, um, just please uh, drop a hello. It would, it would make my day, it would make my night, it would make my heart happy, it would make me happy. Um, so that video is now going viral on Twitter. It was posted, so everyone is posting, hey, Justin. I mean, hey, Justin, what's up? I know, I mean, you may be listening, who knows, but he is just the cutest. And I think it's really sweet because, I mean, everyone, he's trending right now across Twitter right now because he just wanted to say he wanted a hello. 
And he wanted to show that in, that matters. He matters. Uh, and anyone who is also in his position matters. That was kind of like an early yes queen. It is. It kind of touched me. It was really, really sweet. And I made everyone be like, we need to say hi to Justin. Well, retweet it on at LGT show so people can find it. And then oh, also true. tweet him. And be involved in the conversation. We should do that. We'll do a video being like, hey, Justin, we talked about you on the radio. Exactly. <laughs> now, uh, moving on, Representative Richie Torres, a New York Democrat, shared today that he plans to reintroduce a bill that will expand a data collection rule for financial institutions to include LGBTQ-owned businesses. Torres is the first gay Afro-Latino elected to Congress. And he said that the LGBTQ Business Equal Credit Enforcement and Investment Act will amend part of the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, which requires financial institutions to collect data on credit applications submitted by minority and women-owned small businesses. So this bill would require data collection on LGBTQ-owned businesses as well. This is really important. Even in our conversation about women who give more than men, she mentioned the data is not there because a lot of these companies aren't taking in that data about LGBTQ-owned individuals or businesses. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be included in the conversation, and he's doing that. So go Richie Torres, who's already making moves. Finally, 2021 South by Southwest online conference now announced Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg will deliver a keynote speech at the event taking place virtually actually this month. Officially, yeah, in March. Oh, my God, it's already here. He joins keynote speaker Stacey Abrams and featured speakers Demi Lovato, Mary J. Blige, Carol King, and others at the virtual festival scheduled to run March 16th through March 20th. And uh, they're going to be talking to him about how technological innovations are transforming mobility. And I'm sure they're going to talk about how he's, like, you know, obviously making history. And how butch he's become because he's found out how trains work. I really feel like that's what the Secretary of Transportation does. They just find out how the train system works. But I hope they talk about him and his identity (laughs) and, like, the significance of his position and him being him. Smart note, yeah, Yes, hopefully. That was what's trending this hour, what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan. Okay, so let's talk about The Bachelor, which we normally don't ever really talk about, but following widespread criticism for his comment, uh, perpetrating racism, a longtime Bachelor host, Chris Harrison, will be replaced. So who is replacing him? It's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Emmanuel, is it H-O? Acho. Acho. Um, Emmanuel will be hosting the After the Final Rose episode. Now, if you don't know who Emmanuel is, we've talked about him on the show. I think we've given him our Yes Queen. Um, he's a best-selling author and the host of the online series, Uncomfortable Conversations with the Black Man, which serves to spark meaningful dialogue around racial ignorance. Um, Now, during this special airing March 15th, after the show's finale, Emmanuel will sit down with The Bachelor lead, Matt James, as well as his final three women, Brie, Michelle, and Rachel, who Rachel, honey, is through is in it right now where they I'm hoping he does not pick the racist who has been kind of deemed the racist on the show because there's a lot of things happening Um, but of course Emmanuel will discuss the outcome of the finale and the current events surrounding the Bachelor franchise so yeah I might have to tune in for this even though I don't know what's going on besides the tea that has been being spilled all over the website so yeah that's your tea report I love this. This is huge. It's going to change The Bachelor because it's been called out for not celebrating or including black culture at all. I want to be clear. He's hosting the special, but we're not sure if he's completely uh, like replaced Chris. This is the test, I think. Yeah, this is the test. Okay. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yeah. 
Yes, Queen. Chloe Zhao has made history as the first Asian woman to win Best Director at the Golden Globes.、Mm-hmm. So she won for her film Nomadland, which I saw, loved it.、Great、I haven't、movie. seen it yet because I don't know. I just wasn't capturing me just based off of the、uh, the Hulu. A trailer,、yeah. but I have I was watching a ton of movies this weekend, so maybe I'll add that one to my list. You should.、Yeah. Well, here is her acceptance speech. Hello, everyone.、Uh, thank you,、uh, Hollywood Foreign Press, and <laughs> thank you, my fellow nominees. Thank you for making beautiful, beautiful movies.、Um, this award belongs to the whole Nomadland team,、um, the entire cast and crew, all the producers, everyone at Searchlight. You all know who you are. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, I want to thank my partner Josh and my family for keeping me sane all these years, and、uh, I especially want to thank the Nomads who、uh, who shared their stories with us. And I just love that. There's a lot we can learn from each other and from having compassion. And so, congrats, Chloe, for making history. Well, my thing is that it, this feels a little bittersweet、mm-hmm. um, because,、okay. as we know, the Hollywood Foreign Press is not very diverse. And to know that this was ha- this happened, yes, it's such a huge moment.、Um, but yeah, it just still feels a little awkward. And uh, uh, like I said, bittersweet is the best word.、Um, but I have to give it up to her. She was wearing a T-shirt when everybody else had、totally. dressed up. I loved it.、Uh, And gowns, and she's just like, I am not doing that sitting at my desk right now.、I'm、yeah, I don't even、that. know if she did her makeup. She yeah, I don't、herself. think she did. She had a cute、yeah. little.、Uh, she had like pigtails down her、uh, down her like chest. It was really cute. I like that. So shout out to Chloe Zhao. I'm sure we'll we'll hear more about her and her work. Very soon. Oh yeah, for sure. She's on the top of mind. I wish, though. I think Regina King was also a part of this lineup. If it wasn't her, I would have loved for it to have been、uh, Regina King because she did an incredible job for her first directorial debut. That's、and、true. So yeah, I, I, that's something that I would have wished. But this is still a big deal. Yes, and Regina looked great in her dress, and of course, her dog making appearance too. That was very cute. <laughs> and that does it for our Yaz Queen of the Day and our show today. Yes, Queen. It has been such a pleasure to see you through this. Plexiglass, Ryan. I know, and not through a Zoom call, like exactly.、Right? I feel much more energized. Yeah, and I mean, I want to know from the audience, how did you enjoy the new hours? Did you love it? Did we bring it? Did does it feel like we're back at it? And what do you want us to cover on the show? We always love to hear. I'm from always、you. down for that. Find us on social media at LGT Show, and of course, our personal socials at the Slay God at Shira Lazar.、Mm-hmm. Coming up on tomorrow's show. Why Joe Biden's pro-union message is so significant. Plus, of course, we're continuing to celebrate Women's History Month and Bisexual Plus Health Awareness Month. All right, that's on tomorrow's show, two to six p.m. Pacific. That is five to nine p.m. Eastern, right here on Channel Q. We're sending you love and light. And honey, you better remember to slay. Stay tuned for Love Line with Dr. Chris right after this. All right, bye, y'all.